and welcome to Rose Ed, the definitive soccer podcast with me, Joe Forrester and Hannah East. Loads coming up for you today. Turkey is stuffed, Italy play prettily and Pogba looks tasty. Or at least Antonio Rudiger certainly thought so. Um, as I said, me, Joe Forrester here with Hannah East. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Joe. I mean, I'm astounded by the <laughs> that intro there. The the rhythm was unbelievable. I mean, you, you're kind of competing with Sean Dyche's Poetry Corner with the, the level of poetry there. I was good. I sprung that on you as a bit of a surprise, didn't I? Yeah, I was impressed, Joe. I'm proud of you. Well done. <laughs> Look, if you want to get in touch with us as well, it's really easy to do so. On Twitter, it's at Soccer. On Instagram, it's at Pod. That's also the place where you can enter the Rosehead Fans Calendar Competition. Send us a photo of yourself, not X-rated, just amusing, ideally, and our favourite photos will get a chance to put a word into Sean Dyche's poetry in the next episode. Um, Hannah, we're deep into the competition now. It's six days in. How are you finding the Euros? I absolutely love the Euros. I feel, especially at the moment, with the fact we've all been caged up like battery hens for the last like 18 months. And now it's the opportunity to put your flags up. It's your opportunity to support your team and go round to mates' houses and watch football is brilliant. Support your country. I feel like there's a real buzz around the Euros at the moment. People are making, even a lot of my female friends that hate football, they Mm. are watching football. I don't know if they're watching it, but they're there, they're present and enjoying (laughs) the experience. And I really like that. You know, my kids are starting to watch it. They're two and four and it's, it's a thing and I'm really enjoying it. What about yourself? You're quite level-headed and sort of down-to-earth person because I oscillate, especially with England, I find it so hard to maintain a level of consistent calm for a whole month in a tournament (laughs) and I kind of swing between going mad and listening to three lions and sending people voice notes saying it's coming home to then watching Italy as I did yesterday and thinking oh my god we'll get beaten 5-0 if we play then what's the point let's just withdraw from the tournament now I I sort of can't I in a way I would rather hibernate for all of England's games and then know we've won the tournament afterwards because I can't enjoy it at the time. (laughs) But that's interesting because when we talked about um, Gareth Southgate, both you and Mike were like, oh, you know, sacked from Middlesbrough and, you know, is it... What was your take on on England's performance with in terms of his his starting lineup? Because there was a lot of controversy around who he started with mm. Sterling and the fact that Jack Grealish didn't start. You know, Trippier out of out of position. What did you think to the the starting lineup? Do you think his decisions were genius, or maybe his inexperience shining and him taking a chance that he shouldn't have that paid off? Well, the first thing to say is actually watching that game on Sunday when I saw Gareth. I did feel really guilty. And then he wrote an open letter that was in all the UK newspapers last week protesting against racism. Yeah. And it, I just sort of thought, I cannot believe that I slagged this guy off on the podcast. Well, the, neither can I, actually. I mean, I was pretty much in his defence. but You were. Saying. You stuck up for him. <laughs> I did. And me I and did. Mike were just digging in on him like your classic reactionary football fans. Um, look, I love Gareth. I think he's a smashing bloke. And at the end of the day on Sunday, it was pretty laboured. It was quite a drab game in lots of ways. But... England won their first game at the Euros for the first time ever. And that's amazing because normally if you think about England at a tournament, it's like, okay, we've got a point and what do we need to do next? Now we've beaten the best team in the group. So you've got to look at it and think that's a tactical victory. And he looks so pumped at the end. And England, given the format, are pretty much into the last 16. Even if they lose their next two games, they likely will go through. So I think it's a, a tactical victory for Gareth. 
And I, I mean, it makes us, it makes a pod a bit more exciting as well, because obviously, you know, being England fans, what did you think of Phillips? Because you know I what? it was unbelievable. Obviously, you mentioned Raheem Sterling. So he's been in really poor form. And I think he would yeah. probably admit that. He obviously is the one to get the goal. It was but he's, he's the most experienced on the pitch in terms of England caps, which is probably why Gareth wanted him on for that experience, because we did have a, you know, some young players there as well. When in an ideal world throughout the tournament, I think you would probably have Sterling, Kane, Henderson and Maguire on the pitch just for experience. People like yeah. Walker and, and that's where people like Trippier are valuable, a little bit older, pushing on for 30. I actually thought he did all right at left back, to be fair, Kieran Trippier. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I thought Calvin Phillips was superb. He played like Patrick Vieira. I, I've always thought he's relatively limited in what I've seen him do for Leeds. I thought he was absolutely superb. So you've got to say Gareth got it right. Can you can you say that again in a Leeds accent? Because your Yorkshire accent is questionable. Um, so, And I'm from Yorkshire, so you... you like you mimic me all the time. So just say right. that in a, a Leeds go on. I thought Calvin Phillips was absolutely fantastic, Hannah. Wow. Yeah. Is he Jamaican or is he? <laughs> I used, hang on a sec, I, I channel my friend Matt Carlton. Hang on, if you if you are listening, Matt. Hello, mate. Uh, it's always nice to... <laughs> be so disappointed in your lack of Yorkshireness. Oh, now then, now. I thought Calvin Phillips was absolutely fantastic, mate. So Leeds, Leeds, Leeds. Leeds, Leeds. Yeah, it's a bit like that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it was okay. Well, it work in progress, work in progress. But I really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, I've enjoyed him this season um, at Leeds as well. So I think I'm really positive about England. I'm really looking forward to them playing against Scotland uh, tomorrow night. That's going to be an amazing game at Wembley. Um, and Scott, obviously, I mentioned I'm half Scottish as yep. well. Controvert. My papa actually said to me the other day, after the before the Scotland game, he's like, Hannah, this is bigger than Burns Night. <laughs> and when he said it, I felt like if Joe Forrester could hear you now, he was so excited. I was waiting for the phone call after the match. It's never come. He's no, he hasn't called me yet. I think he was severely disappointed in the Scotland, Scotland's performance. Um, but we, we mentioned uh, what, we, you know, what we're going to touch on, how we're finding it so far. Christian Eriksen, um, what, a, what a situation uh, that, that we're in to, to watch that for him, for his family, his friends, his teammates, and amazing um, leadership. And, and it was just awful to watch. Yeah, so, so just to catch people up who might have missed what, what happened to Christian Eriksen, it was the uh, five o'clock kickoff on Saturday afternoon, Denmark playing Finland, Finland in their first ever international tournament. And Christian Eriksen, off the ball, went down without any other players around him. Uh, it became very apparent very quickly that there was something quite seriously wrong. He had his eyes open and you can tell when... For, for want of a better phrase, somebody's not there. From what I understand, the rapid action of his teammates, particularly uh, Simon Kier, potentially saved his life because yeah. he cleared his airways, put him in the recovery position, which bought Christian Eriksen uh, valuable seconds, while the medical team, including a cardiologist, who they have to have at every game, because sadly this kind of thing has happened before and the outcome hasn't been, well, in inverted commas, a positive one. Uh, it was about 12 minutes on the pitch, where he was resuscitated, he was brought back to life. He was then taken off while his teammates formed a, a shield and a kind of a guard of honour around him. And then astonishingly, a couple of hours later, the players re-emerged back onto the pitch to play the game. What we've since found out is that UEFA said to them, you can either finish the game tonight or you can play it at midday tomorrow. Now, the question has been asked since, 
by Kasper Schmeichel, by the Danish coach, and I think by probably millions of football fans around the world. Why are those the two options? Why can't you give these guys, both teams, a few days off to have a bit of counselling, gather their thoughts, and then maybe arrange the games for later? Because there is space. They're just going to have to be at the same time as other matches. The only thing I could think is for the TV schedule. Hannah, do you think the game should have continued? I 100% do not agree with a decision to continue that game. I mean, that was a, such a traumatic experience, obviously mm. for, for him, for, for everybody watching. But for for him, he was kind of out of this equation, really. You know, he was he was kind of gone. But it's the teammates around him to, to be involved in what I keep saying. You know, it's a traumatic experience. It, it was. It must have been. Um, and for them to carry on, you know, the same day I mean they hadn't even given a 24-hour clearance if he if Christian Eriksen was actually okay or not you know he's been taken off the tests and there still hasn't been an official statement released about exactly what it was he's waiting to find out so Mm. I I feel that at minimum of 24 hours um should have they should have rescheduled it rescheduled it at the end of the group stages in my opinion um simply because that you know um that the, the goal that went in I mean Schmeichel would have saved that all day long in his sleep with his eyes shut whatever but the the question is he wasn't in the game there he'd just been a very dominant figure around that situation been heavily involved in you know standing around it with Christian Eriksen and with his teammates you know um, with Christian Eriksen's partner and consolidating her just to make sure she's okay and I, I just don't feel that that was the appropriate decision to be made and I know everyone's got their opinion on it but I fundamentally disagreed with the the game to continue. And I think, yeah, to put it in context, watching anybody nearly die is incredibly yeah. traumatic and incredibly shocking for anyone. But these guys have played together since they were six, seven, eight years old in the yeah. national team setup for various clubs and stuff. So it's like watching one of your best mates nearly die and then saying, OK, can you go back to work now? Yeah. Of, of course you wouldn't because yeah. you're, you, if you walked in, you might be able to function and move around, but you certainly wouldn't be in the right place. I think look, we're going to find, we'll, we'll bring you more as it happens. And I think the great thing is, and I felt a wave of relief is just the fact that Christian Eriksen is still here yeah. and still with us. Um, and I know that for the future Denmark games, he plans to wear his uh, Denmark shirt in, yeah. in his hospital bed, which I think is quite cool. Yeah. And Denmark are playing their group games in Copenhagen. The hospital is 500 metres from the stadium. So he will probably be able to hear when at 10 minutes during the Belgium and Russia, uh, during the Belgium and Denmark game, I should yeah. say, yeah. there is a round of applause. Romelu Lukaku, who's obviously his teammate into Milan, who yeah. dedicated a goal to him on Saturday, said, we're going to stop at 10 minutes. We're going to do a round of applause and maybe Christian will hear it. So I think... That's pretty cool um, yeah. in the circumstances. Especially when people say, you know, it's bigger than football. You know, football's not everything. And I understand the the term that people have used there. But actually, this shows what a, a community that they have and how people, everyone within football have kind of united for Christian Eriksen. And I think it gives a different angle, a different slant to, oh, yeah, two mates playing football. This Everybody is kind of united for Christian Eriksen. And I think... It was it was such a uh, there's been a lot of tributes that have been amazing to see, really positive. That's what football can do. Football, whether yeah. it's just a five a side team who play on a Tuesday night or it's an international team and people who've played together and won league titles and stuff, it brings fans and players and managers and pundits and stuff from all over the world together. And actually mm. it, it's turned into a really, as you say, a really beautiful example of unity yeah. among the world of football, which is lovely. Um 
speaking. My, my little boy, my little boy did say, "Mummy, why is he lying on the floor? Is he tired?" Because <laughs> I was at a kids' party when it happened, oh, and all the kid, and everyone's like, oh, "We kept rewinding it to watch it back," and we're like, "Oh my goodness, is he okay?" And waiting for news. I mean, we shouldn't have been able to see the footage that we saw, in my opinion, either yeah. on the screens. You know, that should have cut to studio. We, did, we didn't need to see that. Um, but yeah, the, the little kids were like, "Is he just tired?" And we were all going, "Yeah, he's just tired. He just wants a rest." Because you never expect to see anything like that. So, no, not on a football pitch. I mean, it's profoundly, profoundly shocking. Um, let's talk about what we know after the first week. And what I know after the first week is Italy are unbeatable and there's absolutely no point in even continuing the tournament. Watched them again <laughs> last night. Yeah. Another 3 0 win. I think, oh, they look so sexy. They are not sexy. just sexy. Not just because they traditionally they're a, a quite a good looking people, the Italians anyway. Yeah. They've got quite a hunky team, as yeah. they always do. I don't know if you remember after the 2006 World Cup, I think it was Dolce & Gabbana did a like, double page advert spread in loads of magazines of like eight of the Italian players in their underwear. And I was like, oh, if that's the England team, like, <laughs> then that's like, if that's like Rio and John Terry and like, Gary Neville, that's not so good. But when it's like Andrea Pirlo and Buffon and stuff, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and how do you think the likes of Harry Kane would fare up in that? Oh, front he's got a little pair of Y fronts, one hundred percent. With his, <laughs> he's got a pair of Y fronts that his mum's sewn his name into. Yeah, <laughs> Calvin Classics, a oh. pair of those from the market. Is that what you say? <laughs> Mr. Southgate, Raheem stolen my pants again. <laughs> oh, bless him! Um, it's the England captain. How do we just how do we just talk about Harry Kane and wearing Y fronts? I don't know where we went with that. But Italy, I think, look. Admittedly, they haven't been tested, and I thought Switzerland mm-hmm. were poor. Turkey were awful. But they look they look very good. I've enjoyed watching Italy the most. They've played some beautiful football. Yeah, very fluid. Um, I, I, I like their team spirit. Um, they're just so passionate. Every goal that goes in, it's just they're full of passion. You know, sometimes, I mean, some countries can be a bit prudish, you know, generally. And if you score a goal, you think, oh, I kind of want to be a bit respectful to the, the opposition. Yeah, not Whereas, the Italians. not the Italians, they don't care. I nearly swore. Yeah. They don't give a, they don't give a what's it. You know, they are so passionate. They'll jump off the pitch and, you know, hug everybody around them because it means so much to them. And that's very, infectious to watch it um it's one of those games where you sit down to watch it and if your phone goes or something you may check your phone look away when they're playing i really feel that i it's very intense and i want to keep watching them but they the way they perform um makes the the game very interesting and, and exciting so and on that note at the end of the Turkey game, so they're through now. They are the first team yeah. through. They've got six yeah. points. They're yeah. definitely through. And they were 3-0 up, and it's the last five, four or five minutes of the Turkey game. And they were still throwing themselves in front of balls going into the box yeah. because they are so desperate not to concede. And that sort of passion and that sort of drive, more than I think the tactics is what's going to take you through a tournament. They they want every second. They, they want perfection every second. And they've got 10 straight clean sheets at international levels, they've scored 31 goals <laughs> without conceding and they haven't lost for 29 games. The record for an Italian team is 30 straight games and that was set in 1939. So, I mean, this is a pretty good Italy side. Yeah. And watching them last night, those stats are unbelievable, but it's not a surprise mm. after watching their performance either. I- there was a moment actually where Switzerland probably had one chance and, and Donnarumma, the, the Italy keeper, hadn't had anything to do for the whole game, made a double save and you thought, these guys, I mean, they, they are yet to be tested, but 
it's going to take quite a lot to score against this lot. Um, I thought Portugal looked pretty good in the second half. I really enjoyed Ronaldo's second goal where he kind of dribbled it around the keeper and little one twos and stuff. And obviously they, they're the reigning champions and they do kind of tend to grow into a tournament. Belgium looked pretty good as well. And actually I thought, I thought France looked pretty ominous against Germany. Paul Pogba in particular, Hannah was Um, tasty. He was very tasty. I just look at him and I think, why can you not be that consistent with Man United, um, you know his his flair, his passion. He was he was he was unbelievable. And and watching him, I just thought, why why can you not do that a little bit more uh, with Manchester United? Well, that combination of grace and strength reminds me of Zinedine Zidane. There was a couple of moments where the ball would come out of the air. He'd pull it out of the air while simultaneously holding off an opponent like they were almost like that sort of very un PC kind of old cartoon from the old days where kind of someone will hold a little person at arm's length while they kind of swing at them and Pogba was like go away I'm looking for a beautiful through ball and then he and then he would play one I mean I thought he was just fantastic I'm not his biggest fan and I thought he was just a complete pleasure to watch and yeah. I'm not his biggest fan either I've got to say Joe I'm not but on my I actually I'm going to read my notes that I put down throughout the the match because I sit there with my notebook so I put yeah I do so I put uh, winning loads of tackles tracked back is showing intelligence and discipline that's all I wrote for him because I I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed watching him and to me you know Paul Pogba playing for France is a different Paul Pogba playing for Manchester United which disappoints me a bit well some people have said Germany are a little bit unlucky in that game I didn't think they were France had two goals disallowed for offside and they were offside but it just goes to show that if they can be a little bit it's only the first group game and if they can be a little bit sharper I just I feel like the the quality in that team and it's it's not exactly the most insightful analysis to say the quality in that team is going to be very very hard um, to get past let's talk about the highlight of the tournament so far probably Mm -hmm. Patrick Schick's goal Unbelievable, just past the halfway line. And there's been a lot of criticism, hasn't there, for, for Marshall's uh, poor, poor positioning, um, yeah. out of goal, coming away from goal way too much. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was one of those where you're like, oh my word. Obviously, I was going to swear again, but I'm trying hard <laughs> not to. Uh, it, was, it was like, rewind that, get that, let's get the replays in. That was unbelievable, definitely. It has to be the goal of the, the whole tournament, surely. There's been some quite good goals so far, and that was exceptional. Sometimes with those goals from the halfway line or whatever, they they they're kind of actually not that good because it's like okay, it's basically like drifting a long range pass. And okay, don't get me wrong, like David Beckham against Neil Sullivan in '96, I think it is or whatever. Yeah. Um, then that's obviously amazing, and it's sort of 50, 60 yards. But he essentially strokes it, and it's like playing a long ball. And it kind of nestles in the back of the net. What's so good about Schicks is he hits it really quite hard because Marshall is off his line, but presumably because the Czechs had been counter-attacking, so he's trying to negate that. And he hits it really hard and then it rattles around the back of the net. And also what's very pleasing from an aesthetic point of view is Marshall then ends up in the back of the net like a cartoon. And I Intertwined thought- <laughs> into the net. I mean, how devastating must you be? Not only like, you know, he's been heavily criticised for being out of uh, out of the box, but the fact that it was like a wonder goal that smashed in. Uh, people are saying he would have saved it if he was in position. Um, but the fact that he, he fell backwards and somehow intertwined every one of his limbs into the net I mean, poor guy. 
<laughs> yeah, not only have you conceded from the halfway line, which is a goalkeeper, and goalkeepers are all crazy, so that's going to enrage him more than anything. But also, you just look like an absolute <laughs> wally. I think I don't think there's anything worse, really, as a keeper, is there? Um, but he apparently Patrick Schick said that during the first half, he'd noticed that Marshall stayed quite high off his line. Yes. Yeah, in order did. to prevent the counterattack, but then still from there to converting that. I mean, it's that's still something very different. Let's talk about Scotland, though, because obviously Hannah, as I, I don't know if you've mentioned it before, but you, you're, you're Scottish, <laughs> are you? Aye, it's bigger than Burns Night. This is. Aye. Yeah. Aye. <laughs> so good. So, right, so as this is my papa that we mentioned who can eat an apple through a tennis Aye, racket, and you papa. found that concept. Hello, dear papa. Bigger than Burns Night, Hannah. Burns Night, you say Burns. Burns Night. Burns. that's not quite right is it but obviously not a great Scotland would have felt like they needed to win that game I thought they were a little bit unlucky I thought Andy Robertson was pretty good to be fair but it leaves them with quite a lot to do to qualify from the group including probably get a result against England yeah and and watching England perform um at the weekend I I I, I'm going to put it out. I don't. I think England are going to absolutely smash it. There's so much rivalry between England and Scotland, and obviously we mentioned in the last pod about Wales, which we'll, we haven't touched on really. But um, I, I think that England, that if they go with the same formation that we went with uh, with before, I, I like the whole setup. Mm. Um, I think if we start with that, um, I think we're going to torment Scotland uh, tomorrow night. Yeah, to put it in context for our American listeners, there's a couple of massive international rivalries when it comes to England. Now, you've obviously got Germany, who have got a very long, rich history. Of... Oh, my God, Joe, are you going to do a history lesson again? <laughs> Go on. I can see it. You're itching to talk. Go on, give us a bit of history then. Don't mention the war. Right? <laughs> but obviously, there's kind of there's that context with Germany, but also they've got a long, rich history of knocking England out of tournaments and beating us on penalties in Euro 96 and stuff like that. And I mean, every international football level, everybody hates the Germans because they always just get through. There's a classic football cliche here in the UK, never write off the Germans. And it's yeah. so true because yeah. they're always dangerous. England have also got a very long rival with, rivalry with France. Um, that comes obviously from a thousand years of invasion and warfare and that kind of thing. And also we're just close. So nations close to each other want to beat each other. But I think when it comes to international football rivalries, it doesn't get closer and it doesn't get more bitter than England, Scotland. And Hannah, are your Scottish relatives going to be going absolutely bonkers on Friday night? Yeah, like completely bonkers. Um, I think after Scotland's performance uh, initially, uh, they, they, like I say, they've got my papa particularly and my aunties and uncles have gone a bit quiet. But they will be coming out of the woodwork for tomorrow night. And uh, I'm just praying. I'm praying that we beat Scotland. It's a thing. I really hope we do. Um, and I hope we beat them 3-0. But Scotland obviously are then going to have to play Croatia in the last group game as well. I, I do feel England's group is is fairly open. Yeah. Even if Scotland lose tomorrow, do you think they can beat Croatia and qualify? I don't know. I don't feel that we 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 saw too much of Scotland in their, their first match. I don't think they gave us too much for me to have too much of an opinion um, ahead of, like you say, it's very open, um, this, this group. And although I'm saying, oh, I hope England beat Scotland tomorrow night, 
it, it could be that Scotland thrash us, even though we're really positive about our team. It depends how Sarah, Gareth Southgate sets us up. Uh, he may make some of those uh, decisions that we would be like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden we all hate Gareth Southgate because we don't think that he's, he's set up very well. So um, I'm not going to put a statement on that one because um, I think it's too open. Well, let's talk about the other home nation who are in the competition currently as well. So we've had some correspondence in, Hannah. Yeah. Um, so Talia says, Wales looked awesome, underrated Wales to win the whole thing right now. That's obviously completely mental. But I did send you a stat this morning um, into our little WhatsApp group that we have for the podcast. And only France, with six, have won more matches across Euro 2016 and Euro 2020 combined than Wales, who've won five. Wales have the best winning percentage in European Championship history. Now, obviously, that's a little bit misleading because they've only been in two European Championships. But still, they got a 2-0 win. Yeah. Um, and do you know what? They just might do it. They beat Turkey, I should say. They beat Turkey, yeah. who look absolutely rubbish after I confidently said they're not a bad team <laughs> in our preview podcast. Um, Gareth Bale put a penalty into orbit. I mean then, that that was it may as well, that, that was pretty bad. I actually I genuinely felt sorry for him. He, he just looks it, to start off with. He went up to take the penalty, looked really composed, and then he seemed to pause for what seemed like ten minutes. And then he just looked like you could just see it in his face. He was just working himself up. He wasn't focused. Uh, I think everything like for for such a, a decorated player, such an unbelievable player as in as in himself. Um, I I really was surprised. By, no, I don't mean how bad that penalty was because mm. it wasn't it wasn't great. But I was really surprised by his lack of composure before he took that penalty, and you could see it in his face a disappointment. But it's almost as if he brought that on himself. He would never have done that in a, in any other match, would he? He would have got that day in day out, but he just seemed to lose it. Well, then he did a lot. Uh, then he did something that was a lot harder. I mean, he was fantastic and he got the man of the match. And his yeah. assist for the second goal, he basically takes the ball from a corner. Yeah. And just runs along the touchline until he gets to the goal and just skins like three people and just puts it on a plate for the second goal. And it's like, that's harder than a penalty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like how you say kicked it into orbit. He really did. It was like, what is he doing? That would have been penalty is still circling the earth. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows where that ball's gone. It's it's disappeared, but yeah, I'm pleased for um, for Wales. I know you like were very firm about Wales, but it's <laughs> nice. It is nice to see um, that they they're surprising people. I like that. I, I thought you meant Welsh people are surprising people. They're, they're the, surprising Wales. people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I like the Welsh national team. Do you know what it is? I just can't. I just get all mad and jingoistic. But you don't. You don't like them. You don't like them. Do. You're pretending. You were very passionate about not liking them in the last podcast. Like I hope they don't get through. But now you're going to have to. You're going to have to talk about them even more because they're doing pretty well, Joe. But I think what's weird is I I kind of psych myself up in a football tournament. And I can find a reason to like turn against anybody it's like oh the swedes with their friendly nature and their strong economy <laughs> and i just get it's just i just turn into some kind of mad lunatic hooligan hooligan yeah. 
And then the rest of the time, I was like, oh, come on, guys, peace and love. Why can't we all just get along? And then tournament time, no, it all, it all comes out. And it's like when you watch um, England play, when you said to me, um, how are you finding the Euros so far? And I, all I wanted to say was, you know, it's brilliant. We see our typical British people with their typical British sunburn from the mm. weekend because they don't put sun cream on. They've got their beer bellies out, their hairy stomachs, uh, having a fag with a pint of Stella watching the England game that's what it's all about that's just the women um but that's that's what it's all about isn't it um you know with uh, everybody just getting very uh, very passionate <laughs> Janet put your top on it's yeah. a family friendly pub uh, <laughs> there you go this is your track again <laughs> um, something I know you were very keen to talk about Hannah because it is a highbrow mm-hmm. podcast was Joakim Lowe's scratch and sniff listen jo- Joe <laughs> it's too much it is too much. I feel like we need to put the, a couple of clips onto our Instagram page. We can do that. People, yeah, little little plug for the Insta. Um, but it's he. I've just I've just actually scratched my own nose when I talk about it. I struggle to watch uh, Germany play while he's he's there. He scratches his genitals and sniffs it. Can I say that? Can I say that, Joe? You can say that. Yeah, I can. Yeah. So it's he, factual. It is factual. And then he scratches his bum hole his sphincter area and then he sniffs it and then sometimes in the same in the same moment when he's done the genitals and the bum hole his sphincter he he's he picks his nose and then he he sniffs it and puts his fingers in his mouth he's very keen on self-exploratory examinations on the touchline isn't he and i think here's the thing right we've all i i, I don't know if girls do it too but but lads we've all sat on the sofa you've had to itch and you've gone <laughs> Okay, like whatever, it happens, right? What I don't do is do it in public and also do it when there's potentially 500 million people watching. And also he's been caught before and he won't stop. So I actually was with a friend. We, we watched the, the France-Germany uh, game and I was with a couple of friends. Uh, I'm trying to think of the numbers to make sure that I'm adhering to social distancing and group numbers <laughs> in the UK to make sure that I'm not saying too many people and get told off. Um, but an yeah, illegal I was, rave. Yes, I was at a legal rave watching the game and I was with a friend and I was like, I cannot get past um, that he, he... Just watch him, just watch him. He is scratching and sniffing. And she was like, well, he's not really, is he? And then she couldn't stop what she wasn't interested in the game. She's like, when are we going to go back to to the the German manager and see him scratch and sniff his genitals? So then I got, I went onto YouTube and there are hundreds of videos on there of him doing it. It's a thing. In a way, I kind of respect it because he obviously just doesn't care. I'm I'm going to keep doing it. It helps me get through the match. (laughs) But what what does it smell like? like? Why is he so addicted to the smell of it? Like what is down there? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's lovely. And we could, if they were to release it in like a European <laughs> Championships magazine as one of those scratch and sniff things, everyone went, oh, actually, peachy, oh I didn't expect that. <laughs> yeah, like in an Avon catalogue when you scratch and sniff. Maybe it's floral, maybe it's so fragranced and it calms him. Maybe it's like a lavender and calms him for the matches. I'd, maybe I'd quite like to get a Joachim Low undercarriage scented candle. I <laughs> can... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get on to that. Let's get. We'll, let's do some research and see. I mean, how much would would you buy one? Would you buy one? Undoubtedly, even if it was awful, you'd have to, wouldn't you? That's a collector's item. I a hundred percent would buy one, and I'd light it near my front door so people could sniff it when they came in. <laughs> What's that smell? I'm glad you asked. Actually, that's the Germany manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar scent to his sphincter, actually. <laughs> and speaking of beautiful, uh, I'm delighted that. 
Sean Dyche is back with us. A man who would never do that in public. It's Sean Dyche has rejoined us and it's time for Sean Dyche's Poetry Corner. Well, round one is upon us. Isn't it fun? Sterling scored and England won. The crowd all cheered, the crowd all roared. We're all surprised that Sterling scored. Foden bleached his hair. Bale, well, he loves a top knot. On Friday, let's hope England beat the Scots. Thank you very much. <laughs> sort of a slightly a different rhyming structure from yeah, Sean I think, this week. I think he's I think he's going for something a bit different this week. Um, just try, you know, he's, he's he's exploring that side of his personality. He's exploring that side of um, his poetry writing. I think he's in a way he's kind of a, he's evolving as a poet. <laughs> really? Yeah, he because that was sort of every other rhyme, every other line rhymed, and then two lines would rhyme, and it was kind of like it's kind of a bit off sort of Jack yeah. Jack Kerouac kind of didn't really know where it was taking me but I felt like I went on a journey and yeah. I, I feel inspired. I think um, that one must be in the programme for uh, tomorrow night mm. as well because that was that was beautiful. Imagine if you get to the England <laughs> game and you open the programme and you say oh Sean Dyche has written a column and it's just a poem. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that. Like, good. It's team talk. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. Um Right, well, look, we're going to be back on Monday (laughs) with loads more fun. We're going to be almost at the end of the group stage then, so we'll be able to tell you exactly what everybody needs in order to qualify. Um, Don't forget, you can join us every Monday and Thursday. And if you want to enter our competition, it's the Rose Ed Fans Calendar, our favourite picture of a listener that is sent in to either at Rose Ed Soccer on Twitter or at Rose Ed Pod on Instagram will get a chance to put a word into Sean Dyche's Poetry Corner. Hannah, thank you very much. Thank you, Joe. Excited for the weekend. So I think M- Monday's pod is going to be very exciting. Like you say, we're going to know more um, about the, the next stages. So exciting stuff. I tell you what, if England get battered, then Monday's pod is going to be hosted by Hannah's papa. Yeah, we're just not doing it on Monday. We're just not doing it. I should get my papa to phone in. I should get a few words from my papa. It's bigger than buns, mate. Yeah, we'll get... Papa's Um, perspective, eh? Yeah, I should get his analysis. You can't understand him, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're like, oh, you know, one of those people you go, <laughs> yeah, but you don't know what he's saying yet to because you can't understand a word he's saying. Um, so I, I'll try and get some analysis from him for you. Well, there you go. That's something to look forward to for Monday. <laughs> um, right, Hannah, thank you very much. And Thanks, we will Joe. see you on Monday, guys. Bye. Bye.